Be seated. Let's talk to the Lord together. Father, you've given us such a beautiful way to express what we think and what we feel as we open our mouths and give praise to you. And we thank you for the opportunity to do that. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful season, a time when you have reminded us over and over that you're the giver of all the good gifts, that you're the one who stands with us and sustains us and loves us, And you're the one who's promised to take care of us. And as we come to know the risen Savior, Jesus, that we shall spend eternity with you. What gifts you have given to us. That your Holy Spirit would now dwell with us. And be prepared to guide us and influence our lives. And to remind us on a constant basis of your love for us. Father, I want you to help us think back over the last week. For surely there have been times in our lives, more than we care to admit, when we've taken our eyes off of you. Times, dear God, when we may have acted in a way unbecoming of one of your children. Times, O Lord, when we have thwarted your Holy Spirit and not gone where you want us to go or done what you want us to do or say what you want us to say. Father, I ask you, as we look in our own hearts and as we unearth those times that oftentimes we wish had just never happened, I pray you'd forgive us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be quickened to the point that he becomes even more in control of our daily life. I thank you for the forgiveness we know through the shed blood of Christ. For it washes away all of our sins. The big ones and the little ones. The frequent ones and the infrequent ones. How much love you must have for us. That you would forgive us through the shed blood of Christ. Father, every Sunday... We pray from this pulpit for our country and ask for a revival in our land. And we know, dear God, that you're mightily at work and that you're constantly calling people to yourself and that you're working in some of the most unlikely places as well as some of the likely. What we ask, Father, is that your Holy Spirit would start a movement in our country that we might be a part of where people talk about you and think about you, where you're part of the conversation in public and in private, where people become conscious of you and want to live to make you happy and not just themselves. We pray, dear God, for revival in our beautiful and wonderful country. But not just for us, Lord, but that we might be a light, a beacon throughout the world that people would see and come to know you. So we're asking, Lord, for a revival that we, in turn, might be used by you. A lot of things happening in our country that are painful, Lord. 
a lot of conflict, a lot of discouragement, a lot of people living just for themselves and telling us what they think we want to hear. I pray, dear God, that you'd do a work in this land. And I pray that you would prick our conscience and cause us, believer and non-believer alike, to try to do right. Father, as we speak each Sunday in prayer, we're reminded of the many people who are not at home, the many people who are in uniforms and working in our community, our state, our country, and all around the world. And so many of them, Lord, will not be home for the Christmas holidays. We pray your peace through the power of your Holy Spirit on them and their loved ones. And pray, dear God, that as we think about people we love who are not with us, that our focus would be on you also. And that we'd allow you to comfort us and encourage us. Father, I thank you for our church, as do all of us. You're blessing us, Lord. You're working in our midst. You're calling us to yourself. And you're growing us up spiritually a little bit more every day. Father, on behalf of all of us, I want to give you thanks. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the constant abiding of your Holy Spirit. And thank you, dear God, for the promise of eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to be in the first chapter, and I'm going to start with the 26th verse. The Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, beginning with the 26th verse, and we're going to study through the 35th verse. Once you've found your place, please put your finger in your Bible. And look up. The Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, beginning with the 26th verse. Let's get some help. Let's pray. Father, help us not to come to this time in our worship alone, but under the power of your Holy Spirit. Clear the fog that might exist in our minds. Help us to hear things anew that we've heard before and help them reach all the way to our heart. And then help us, I pray, dear God, through the power of your Holy Spirit to take these things home and to live them out and to allow them to influence our lives. We come, dear God, asking for your blessing as we open your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in Savannah, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, I think it's that way. If you're in Savannah, Georgia, and you drive west about 90 miles, or if you're in Macon, Georgia, Bob's helping me. He's nodding. I got the right direction. If you're in Macon and you drive about 90 miles southeast, you come to an agricultural community that many people all around the world know about. Vidalia, Georgia. 
I understand that there is actually legislation in place in our state that quarantines the growing of Vidalia onions to just that region and has trademarked that name. You know the amazing thing about Vidalia onions? They're sweet. Only God could have made an onion sweet. And they're sweet. But I want you to know something else has grown up in Vidalia, Georgia. There were a group of young men, some of them who were missionary children, but all of them who were raised in homes where Jesus Christ was exalted. And those young men, as they grew up in a town of 10,500 people, this group of young men, as they matured, picked up musical instruments and began to play. Back in 2008, they cut their first record. They travel around, I think mostly the southeast, performing. They call themselves Finding Favor. And they are a Christian rock group. If you go to their webpage, which I did, and you read their webpage, it has some interesting information. One thing is they were in Edenton just two weeks ago at First Baptist Church and performed. But one of the things that I read was their purpose. And their purpose is to be stretched personally and musically that they might die to themselves that Christ might be exalted. And they call themselves finding favor. Now, if a person allows himself and wants to be stretched for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they want to be less in the eyes of other people and want to exalt him, surely that does draw God's favor. That pleases God. He would like that of all of us. But as I read through the passage today and I see the use of the word favor, it has a very different meaning. It doesn't mean something that I do or you do that gets the attention of God and he rewards us with his favor. It's not what the word means in this context. And I want to show you what it means. Look with me, beginning with the 26th verse of the first chapter, and listen carefully as God speaks to us. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you look at the 26th, 27th, and 28th verses, you see the when, where, and why of this event. Luke starts to explain it to us. He starts by saying in the sixth month, and the only way that sixth month is going to make any sense is if you've read the first part of the letter. The first part of the letter described how a relative of Mary, this Mary, how she in her latter years and her husband in his latter years were blessed by God and she became pregnant with a son and she was told to call that son John. He became John the Baptist. That lady, Elizabeth, and Zacharias, her husband, were told when this son is born, he's going to come in the power of Elijah, and he's going to be the forerunner to the promised Messiah. And you've got to remember, folks, 400 years have gone by, and people aren't talking about prophetic utterances, and they're not looking for things to happen. They've pretty much given up. And now God has visited this woman, Elizabeth, and said, here we go, get ready. You're going to have a son in your old age. She is now six months pregnant, and this begins to happen. If you look on through those three verses, you'll see that it introduces Gabriel to us once again. An archangel, one of several, one who was sent by God, one we know who was loyal to God, and came to deliver a message that was on God's heart that he wanted this young woman, Mary, to hear. At some future time, I'm going to look for an occasion to preach a sermon on angels. I'm going to resist the urge to talk much about them this morning. I just want to make a definitive statement. God created angels in the very beginning. Angels existed all throughout the human history, and angels were present at the time of these events. And angels are present today and will be until Jesus comes again. And don't be surprised that you'll see him in heaven. I could go on but I'm going to stop. (laughs) It's a wonderful topic about angels, and most of us don't know much about angels. But Gabriel had a particular purpose. And it says that what Gabriel did is he went to a village in Nazareth. You all know where Nazareth is. If you go due west from right here, and you just keep going due west, you'll come to Nagasaki, Japan. If you keep right on going to Baghdad, And if you keep right on going to the very southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, and then if you go about another 15 or 17 miles into modern-day Israel, there's a little village that's equally about 15 to 17 miles from the Mediterranean that's kind of tucked back into a hillside. And it's a small village even to this very day. Now, of all of the obscure places that God could choose... That's the place he chose for this miracle. 
And folks, he had the whole world at his disposal. And he looked into that village and he picked a young woman who was a virgin. Parthenos is a Greek word and I want you to know what it means. It means one who has abstained from sex. There are those who will say that that word means a young woman. And there's no question that in that tradition, Mary was probably 13 or 14 or 15 years old. But the word means one who has abstained from sex. And Mary uses the same word as she questions what's happening to her. And she says, I am a virgin. And she wasn't talking about being young. Please understand that virginity, even in 2013, is something God is very pleased with when people are not married. I read a statistic just recently that ought to break our hearts because I think it's one of the contributing factors to the breakdown of the family in our country that 10% of the men and women who get married are still virgins. That 90% have given away the gift that God has given that was intended for a husband and a wife uniquely and only. That 90% of the folks getting married who walk down the aisle wearing white dresses and the men dressed up have been sexually active. I heard a very noted youth speaker, national youth speaker who has a radio program. I heard him say, if you want to ensure that your teenage daughter is sexually active, let her date before she's 16. You know what that's all about? It's about maturity. It's about making decisions and being able to think through things and understand consequences. And when we don't do that, there are consequences that we experience. Now, why am I emphasizing that with us at this point in our life? Some of you have children. Some have grandchildren. Some have great-grandchildren. Use your influence. Speak about the issues that affect the quality of life and encourage those in your family and others that you have influence over to do it God's way and not to do it our way. God's way is a far better way. And what God wants us to do is to give a gift to our spouse that has not been given to anybody else. And I promise you that pleases God. If you look on down at the 29th and 30th verses, Gabriel starts to reassure Mary, and he needs to reassure her because Mary is not quite sure, if you look at, at verse 29, is not quite sure what's going on and how any of this could be possible. And what she's really saying is to Gabriel, why would he choose me? Why me? Out of all of the women in the world who fit this qualification, why me? I cannot tell you how often I've heard people say to me, if all that you teach and preach theologically is true, 
why would God choose me and not choose someone else? Why would he do that? And what you do is you start saying, well, maybe there's some merit here. Maybe there's something I can do or have done that has pleased God and he's going to reward us. Well, that's not what this favor is all about. This favor is about something else. If you look at Ephesians 1.5, he says a fascinating thing. He says, I've adopted you into my family. And the reason I have chosen you and you and you is because it suited the kind intention of my will. I love that answer. You know what he just said? I'm God, and I get to do what I want to do. And I'm a loving God, and I'm going to express that love, and the way I'm going to express it is I'm going to reach out into the darkness of a sinful world And I'm going to call people to myself. And Gabriel is saying to Mary, this was God's idea. And if you're trying to figure it out, quit trying to figure it out. He decided to show favor to you. So next time you have that thought, think about Ephesians 1.5. God does things according to the kind intention of his own will. And you want a little verification? Look at 1 John 4.19. In 1 John 4.19, the Lord said, this is a Barton paraphrase, he said, you didn't love me first. I loved you first. I came to you and I showed my love to you and you responded to that love because it's irresistible. And when you responded, you learned how to love. You learned how to love me, and you learned how to love other people. It's God who shows favor. And the result of him showing favor to us is that we are changed people. Changes the way we look at each other. Changes the way we behave. If you look on down at chapter uh, verses 30 through 35, Gabriel continues to explain what's about to take place. And he says some things that must have just been unbelievable to this mama-to-be. He said, you're going to conceive. And I want you to look at the verses and look at the times in those verses that the word will and shall are used. That means they're non-negotiable. God has ordained these things are going to happen. He says to her, And behold, in 31, you will conceive, no question, it's going to happen. God's ordained it. In your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. They didn't sit down, look through a book, trying to pick out a name. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. God has just spoken. And God has said to her, you're going to conceive a son. Sound impossible? Two different places in the Gospel of Luke, there's a simple little quote that says, all things are possible with God. And you and I are so inundated with this secular world 
that we want concrete explanations and we want to plan ahead and we want to be in control of our own destiny. And folks, we're kidding ourselves. We need to be responsible. We need to think things out. We need to pray about them. And then we need to trust God and know that all things are possible with God, even the conception of a baby in a virgin. And Gabriel's trying to press that point home with Mary. Secondly, he says, his name is to be Jesus. Now, lots of folks had that name in that day. Kind of like John or Bill. You know what Jesus means? It means God saves. And Gabriel was saying God wants that name for his son. Because that's his purpose. And when you read this account in the Gospel of Matthew, it gets flushed out. Actually said over and over, he's the son of God, he's coming to save. So a name has been given to him. And what he's really doing is sending his son to reconcile people, you and I and others, to himself. You know, we're born into this world with a broken relationship with God. But most of us don't realize that. We're born into this world and we know the world as it exists. By God's grace, he pricks us, makes us sensitive to the fact that things are not like he wanted them to be. They're not like he originally designed for Adam and Eve. And that we are not like he originally intended his creation to be. And as his Holy Spirit starts to help reveal that to us, you and I become sensitive and begin to understand, not fully, maybe never fully in this lifetime, but we begin to understand that God wants things another way. He doesn't want us to feel and experience all of the pressures and anxieties that every one of us face. He doesn't want us to do things to other people or even to ourselves that hurt us and hurt the temple that he's created where his Holy Spirit resides. What he wants is for us to walk with him and allow his Holy Spirit the freedom to work in our life. And for us to learn to say no and be discerning and not just say yes and just do what seems like it's going to be okay when it's not. What he has done is he's given a gift and the gift is his son Jesus. And his son came to die on a cross to wash away your sins and mine. And that's been done. His son came to claim us through the power of the Holy Spirit and to enfold us into a family known as his family. And when you and I gather together on Sunday and people all around the world, it's his family coming together to thank him and to worship him. And he's made a promise to us. And the promise is very simple. One day, we're going to be in his presence. A righteous God who obviously does not allow unrighteousness in his presence because he put Adam and Eve when they sinned out of his presence. 
But now, through Jesus Christ, he's reconciling us to himself. And we're going to stand in his presence for eternity, not because of any merit we have, not because we found favor with him, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Folks, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to ever be in the presence of God for eternity. I encourage you to call out in your heart of hearts and say, Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my Lord. And if you utter those words sincerely under the power of the Holy Spirit, life will change. I wish I could tell you it'd get perfect. It doesn't get perfect, does it? But you know what? He gives another promise in that passage. And what he says is, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit's going to make all these things happen. My Holy Spirit's going to come on Mary. My Holy Spirit's already come on John the Baptist while still in the womb. We're approaching Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit permanently to the church. And here he's saying, but I'm giving my Holy Spirit to Mary. You know, God knew exactly what she was going to face in a lifetime. He knew the joy she was going to have pretty quickly, nine months later, when that baby was in her arms. He knew the sadness when Herod would say, I want to kill that baby and put out an edict to kill all the little two-year-old boys in that region. She didn't understand what was coming that he would be exalted and stand tall among men and then be humiliated by those same people. She didn't know that one day she was going to stand at the foot of a cross and see her beloved son impaled on that cross. But God knew. And you know what God did? He gave his Holy Spirit to her to care for her to bring her peace, to be her counselor, to help her through the joyful times and those terrible times that we human beings face. And you know what he's done? He's done that for you and for me. Praise God. We're not in this by ourselves. And while we have joyful times and we have some other times that we don't even want to talk about, the Holy Spirit is with each one of us who believe and the Holy Spirit will walk us through. Next time it looks pretty dark, just remember there's a light in here. His name is God. His name is Jesus. And he has come in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he is not going anywhere. He is with us for the duration. And you know why he's doing that? Not because we've done something to earn his favor. Because he said, I love you. I love you. And it works. Let's pray together. Father, it's very tempting with the Christmas season to just be sentimental about it or get caught up in the secular aspects of it. 
And some of that's appropriate, Lord, and some of that's not appropriate if we go to an extreme. What a wonderful opportunity you give us as believers to tell other people about the real reason for this season. I pray, dear God, that we'd use the little cards that we have and that we'd reach out to other people and encourage them during this Christmas season. And I thank you, Lord, that you've promised to be with us and to help us to take the next step and get up the next morning and to find joy in our days. Thank you for Gabriel's message that came right straight from your heart. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I don't think I've ever seen you get up that slow before. Would you all like to sit back down and let's do that again? You have some important things planned today. We've got two of our Sunday school classes having get-togethers. If you're not in either one of those and haven't been invited, tell me. And we'll tell you when we're doing it again next year. <laughs> the reason I said that is I just happened to glance at a couple of our ladies who planned the parties for today. <laughs> and I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope you can smile and feel the power of his love. And know that you're pretty special because you've found favor. He has loved you and will continue to. God bless you and God keep you, my friends. May his face shine on you and may you feel his presence. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.